You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Okay, okay, you have a body. Um, we have bodies. In fact, the sermon is somewhat about bodies. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking about how this church, I've, I've been attending for about six years, and it worked for a couple years, but it really does feel like um, my sort of extended family of people who sort of watched me grow up a little bit, and I'm good to see you here. Um, I forgot my glasses because they are smudgy and I'm um, slightly blind now, but that's okay. Um, this uh, sermon falls into a series on gender and genderful God, which is like a um, fascinating concept. And to begin, I want to talk a little bit about this cartoon, Rocket Power. How many of you are familiar? Not familiar? Oh, wow. So basically a lot of people my age range. Because um, I looked it up, it only premiered between like 1990. 1999, 2004. It's like a very specific age range to be watching this um, cartoon. And it was really awesome. There's like a group of friends, like skater chicks, skater dudes, like rollerblading, skating around like California. And I think it was like a big inspiration. I think I watched it about a few years into coming into America. My younger siblings and I would do the same thing. I would skateboard, uh, Rachel would bike, Paul would scooter, Rebecca would rollerblade. And we would just kind of go around on a park together. Um, and it, it, it was just, um, it was awesome. Uh, I, I don't think I was able to do any tricks back then, but I could, like, turn. Still can't do any tricks now, but I could, I could turn, uh, and that was pretty great. Um, and I remember one time I was, like, maybe 12 or 11, um, and I was, like, going around the park. This time actually by myself. I think my siblings were playing somewhere. And then uh, sort of someone comes up to me around my age, I think a boy, and was like, are you a boy or are you a girl? Um, I think my hair was, like, about here. But I was skateboarding, and I think that the gender signaling was very confusing to him. Um, and I just remember being kind of frozen and feeling like uh, this is sort of not in my chest, right? It, it's, do, am I not supposed to be doing this, but I am doing this? And I think that not in my chest that later on I would come to name essentially as shame. But at that point, it just felt like a physical knot. I think existed in part because if you think about what is underneath that question? You know, are you a boy? Are you a girl? Um, it, and this question we ask in general: You have a baby? Are you? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? It's in some ways a common question, but you know, it's 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 stung for a couple of reasons. One is you know you don't fit in a certain category. Um, please assign yourself. But I think also it felt sort of invasive because the question really is asking: What's underneath your clothes? Like that when we ask someone's. Um, if try to ascertain someone's sex, you know, that is essentially the question we're asking. And it's sort of like the verbal equivalent of, oh, can you just like pull down your pants real quick so we do like a quick check and then pull it back up? Like that is kind of the question we're asking, which is sort of strange if you think about it. And it's also strange to think about the fact that we sort of assume that whatever it is that's underneath your clothes sort of determines a sort of essential truth about who you are and also determines how we can relate to you. So, for instance, once we figure out what your genitalia is, then we can figure out which like, category to put you in, and we, have, we do all the things to display what genitalia we have, if that makes sense. Like, 
you wear a dress so that displays that you have a certain kind of body, you, you know, and what have you. But also, once we figure out the category, then we can make all these like weird rules around it, like, oh, you belong in this category, then you can show your leg hair. Or you belong in that category, oh, but then you can't show your nipples like under your shirt. You have to like wear something underneath. You know, like whose nipples are allowed to be seen, whose leg has about to be seen. It's also based on this kind of uh, rules we have around like body parts that we deem as significant. And um, the story I, I shared, you know, I was in Southern California, I was 12, but it also, a similar incident happened to me, uh, I wanna say three years ago, I was walking down the um, liberal bourgeois neighborhood of Park Slope um, on 6th Avenue, if you know the neighborhood, it's like right next to Bar Base and the Park Slope Library, and I'm just kind of walking, and um, this two kids, I wanna guess like, young teenagers, um, but definitely like, old enough and can talk and or articulate. And one of them pointed to, I think, his sister and said, can you believe that's a girl? And his sister turned to him and said, no, that's a boy. And they sort of had a debate about who I was and were like, pointing at me kind of the whole time. And I was just like, wow, I think they're just saying what everyone thinks. In part, they, they sort of kids have the uh, I could say the darndest things, right? They're just sort of like unfiltered. Um, and I think, I, but it also just made me feel like, you know, at that point I was like, what, 29 or something? I just felt like I was 12 again. I felt like I was um, that like child with that knot in the chest. And the whole, brought me back and I was like, I, should I explain myself to them that neither of them are right and neither of them are wrong? Like, how do I explain like, oh, yeah, you know, my pronouns are there, you know, what, what do I say? Like, and I was like, why, but I was like, why do I feel a need to explain myself? What, why is it that I must sort of come with like a poster board of like some FAQ? Um, I did actually come out to my parents by writing FAQ. So it, it wouldn't be out of characteristic, but but if you step back broadly and think about it, like who is it that we demand explanations from? Um, it, it's often, I think, if you think about it, people who don't fit in a certain category, whether it's gender, sort of gender ambiguous, or perhaps racial. You're sort of like, what kind of white, Asian, black, Latinx person are you? I'm trying to figure out your parents. Or maybe it's someone who um, doesn't feel like they belong in that particular place. Um, like they don't fit in that place. So we all can have heard the difference, some of us more than others, of can I help you to like, can I help you? And the latter implies you don't belong here, you don't look like you belong here. Um, and so I think when we think about what the impulse is to try to categorize people and say like where, where it goes, if you really zoom all the way out, it's how empires function. It's how they maintain control and order at scale. If we can have a census, for instance, and count the number of people who live in this area that we're gonna draw a line around and call a territory or province, then we can figure out who to appoint over them, that person. Okay, this area has 200 people, so they need one you know, administrator. This area has 400 people, they need two administrators. And how much taxes to collect. If we can count who counts as a man, then we can count how many soldiers we can recruit. Like, it's all, um, numbers and abstractions and scales and categories are like how you run things in large numbers. And how many of you like work with spreadsheets or Excel or something like that? Um, if you love them, you essentially love categorization. And I, act I actually love spreadsheets. Um, 
when I used to work here, I had this whole like spreadsheet system that I'm pretty sure no one uses anymore. But at that point in time, uh, it was a, a great project to try to track the, the flow of people coming in and out of a church, figure out where they belonged in the life cycle. And it gave like a, a sense of control, like how can I control the messy chaos of community and life? And I'm not saying categories and control and counting are bad things. I mean, we have the modern society we have today because of them. But my, my question I'm asking is what happens when the categories we create, which are meant to serve and benefit human life at the end of the day, at least I would hope so, start to hurt and harm and are violent and they sort of take on a life of their own in a way. And I think that is the question I'm exploring today. It's about gender, but sort of it's about much more than that. But, you know, part of writing these sermons, I have to try to do a lot of empathy exercise, and I think about what is underlying, on a psychological level, the impulse to categorize. And I think a lot of it, which is I relate to, is the anxiety of disorder, the anxiety of chaos, anxiety of things sort of not being predictable or certain in some way. And from that standpoint, I want to talk about this guy named Moses. Um, he is a very anxious guy, uh, very relatable. Uh, you can read about him in the book of Exodus, um, it's just like one of the first five books of the Bible. And just to give you, I'm gonna get to like why his story and his encounter with God is very relevant for this sermon, but I'm gonna give a bit of background about him. So he is born um, into a group of people that call the Israelites, and the Israelites are living as foreigners in a land at that point called Egypt, and the, the Egypt's rulers are saying these Israelites are getting too plentiful, too many, what if they rise up and ally against our enemy and sort of overthrow us? Um, it's kind of a perpetual foreigner suspicion, so to speak. Um, and so Pharaoh gives this order, so Moses is sort of part of the Israelites. Uh, Exodus one twenty two. then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So you can see how sort of empire starts to kick in already. Sort of assign categories, boy and girl, and then boy live, girl, uh, boy kill, girl live. And it's in the midst of this kind of state-sponsored terror that Moses is born. And his mother is really smart and figures out a way, long story short, to get him adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses grows up kind of with this question, Am I an Israelite? Am I Egyptian? Am I a slave? Am I royalty? Which category of people do I belong to? You see him trying to work out his category angst, identity angst, in the Bible. It's really quite interesting. He notices, he's a bit older at this point, like a, a man, I guess, and he notices um, a Hebrew, one of his like Israelite Hebrew men, fellow persons, um, being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, and he gets really angry and, tr and actually um, kills his taskmaster and like buries his body secretly. The next day, he sees two Israelites, uh, or two Hebrews, fighting each other. He says, why are you, why are you fighting each other? Um, and the man says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? So I think what this guy is trying to say is like, oh, so you think you're one of us now? Like you have lived most of your life spoiled and pampered in royalty. And now you get to kind of calm down, claim, and tell us how we should live our lives as if you're one of us. And I think Moses gets like freaked out on this on several levels. On one hand, he knows that his um, murder of someone has been discovered and people know about it. And two, the very people who's trying to find his way back into are sort of rejecting him. 
And so he essentially has to leave town. His adopted father, Pharaoh, is like trying to kill him. His people he's trying to belong to don't accept him. And he belongs nowhere. He's trying to live. Essentially gets married in this like town out in the wilderness, has a son, trying to keep a low profile as a shepherd. He's bringing the sheep to like the edge of the wilderness near Mount, um, Mount Horeb. And he sees a bush that's on fire. The bush is not burning, it's just on fire. But none of the leaves are wilting, nothing's getting charred. Essentially the bush doesn't fit into any particular category. And then in that bush, Moses hears the voices of God. Uh, a lot of stuff I'm gonna just summarize here. But Mo- God basically says, uh, Moses, I want you to go back to the land of, of your trauma, essentially, and I want you to set your people, lead your people out of slavery into freedom. So, any guesses what Moses' response is? Um, here it is, Exodus 3, 11, 12. It's basically like, who me? Uh, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses asking very rightly, you're asking me to go back and lead a people who have sort of rejected me. Like how, what, how, how, why would they trust me? Why would they follow me? So he asked again, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what, what should I tell them? So I imagine Moses sort of realizing he needs to show some credibility, some legitimacy, so that when, um, the Israelites ask him, so what is God's name? He has something to say. He is signaling that he knows what's going on. And God responds sort of very frustratingly. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So let's just like sit with this before. I mean, it's a bit of a famous verse. You're probably familiar with it. But even then, it's kind of worth a kind of meditation. Because you think about it. Imagine just going around people and saying, I am has sent me to you. I, uh, I mean, Mo, if I was Moses, I'd be like pretty annoyed, like kind of pissed, because especially in that time and place, gods and goddesses have specific roles and names. Like you're the goddess of fertility, you're the god of hunting, uh, underworld, what have you. But God, he is, and so Moses is trying to like slot God, like tell me, give me like some specificity I can work with you. Where can I slot you in? And God doesn't even give Moses like a noun. Like God could have said, I'm a protector, savior, father, mother. God, or not even an adjective. Like I am wise and strong or compassionate. God gives a verb. And now we think about verbs. I love verbs because they are sort of slippery. Um, they are not static. They're in constant movement. And they cannot be owned or pinned down by any one person, set of persons. So for instance, the verb clapping, you can think, okay, that's something humans do. And in the Bible, we'll say, Isaiah 55, 12, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So the verb clapping is not owned by, by humans. Like clapping can be something that other things, other persons do. And so verbs, I think, kind of buck up against a sense of possession. And there's no verb that does this more than the verb to be. It's sort of the ultimate verb, the most expansive, unlimited, undefined of all verbs, and encompasses sort of anything, because you could put a noun there, you could put an adjective there. So it's a, it's a verb that encompasses not just other verbs, but 
nouns and adjectives and whole classes of categories. So I think when God says, I am who I am, which can also be translated to, I will be to who I will be, God is saying to Moses, I know you want the assurance of a specific name that you can call on. So you can be like, I'm currently fighting in a war. I should call on the God of warfare and help me win this war. But I'm telling you that I'm going to refuse any explanation of myself. I'm gonna refuse any categorization, any justification, any legitimization of who I am. You cannot predict me, I will just be who I will be. You cannot encompass me, I am who I am. And so I exist beyond the categories you wanna place me in. I am the fire and the bush, both more than some of them and them at the same time. And I think as uh, a friend of mine, Avrin says, sort of what exists in the tension, in the ambiguity, what is unknown is, in essence, I think, what is, what is holy. But the story doesn't quite end there. God does not end there. They also say in the next verse, God said to Moses, say to Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. It's like super interesting to unpack. So once again, it's not a noun adjective. What God is saying here is, I think they're saying, I am unbounded, yes, I am who I am, but I'm also binding myself to you. I'm binding myself to your ancestors, to your people, and I belong in that was irrevocably to you. And so it's this incredible paradox to think about it. Like God, which arguably in some ways is a name, a, a linguistic placeholder or a word that we use to refer to like limitless being. In our tradition, God, when I say the word God, that's what we're kind of signaling, chooses to limit their limitlessness in the context of relationship. And so if God will be defined in any way, noun, adjective, verb, what have you, God will be defined through relationship. And I think this is the message that Moses needs to hear. Because keep in mind the first question that Moses asks is, who am I that I should do this? And God responds not with a pep talk, not with like, Moses, your leadership potential is like so underrated. Like just like do some like power poses in front of this like stream in front of you so you see your reflection. Um, God just says, I will be with you. And that is all you need to know about yourself in a way. And I think that's kind of model of infinite plus relationship. How I think about God, and I think it's a, and I don't really understand the Trinity, but I think this is like kind of it. Um, that, and the understanding that God is both infinite and also constantly in relationship with God's own selves, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and also with each other. It's, it's not just a beautiful model for thinking about divinity, but I think it's a beautiful model for thinking about what it means to be human. For we are, in our tradition, created in the image of God. And so we are also, I think, infinite beings who are, resist categorization, but who are defined in relationships that we have to one another. That we are both expansive and contingent. We are limitless and intimate. And to tie it back to gender, I do think this is a helpful, has been a helpful model for me to think about gender for myself, but perhaps also for you if it's helpful for you. That to think of gender as not a static thing, but a verb that is in motion, in flux, um, that does not exists in and of itself, but is defined contextually and relationally. That masculinity or femininity or whatever it means does not exist sort of solo, but 
shows up differently on a person depending if they're in their family, if they're in the workplace, uh, sports team, classroom, bedroom, what have you. It's all sort of relative. And just to have a little bit more of a side note on gender, even though it's technically the, the main point, but in any case. But if we think about masculine and femininity, I think all of us would sort of acknowledge that both qualities exist in all of us, right? No one exists exclusively in one category. And so the default reality actually is that no one exists in any category. Um, and in fact, if there's anyone who should explain themselves, not saying people should, but if anyone should, it's actually not the people who identify with the in-between or explicitly present that way, but people who choose in some ways or who do identify with a particular category. Like, I'm really curious to go up to cis people and ask, you know, why is it that you choose to be a woman? Like, why do you identify as a man? Like, what, 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 what are you invested in exactly? I am actually sort of curious. And it's people who opt into a certain category, I think that should explain their, their choice, um, given the fact that the reality is none of us really do fit in any real category. And so, anyhow, I'm gonna close that di my mini gender um, spiel there. But to sort of bring it back to the Bible, the Bible story, because I think at the end of the day, even though what I'm talking about here with God is sort of a, a universal sense of God, I'm making some generalizable statements. But I do think God is also delivering a very specific message to a specific person. In this case, Moses. Moses, as I mentioned, has a lot of anxiety. Who am I? Where do I belong? How do I explain or justify myself, explain or justify my leadership over these people, if my membership of these people? And I think God is saying to Moses, they are saying, Moses, you may not know who you are at this point, or can you really put words to explain who you are, but you will be who you'll be. And you are who you are. And all you need to know is that I belong to you, you belong to your people, and I belong to them. And with that knowledge, you can take the step into this risk, into this unknown. And Moses will later on go on and speak before his father and tell him the truth um, about who he is and deliver his people from slavery. So let's pray for all of that, for the courage to do that. Um, I'm going to read a lot of prayer that we can participate in. But in the meantime, please drop your prayer request in the live stream. Um, I think it's forefrontnyc.com slash live stream. Cool, still, still got it. Um, and then Josh will come out here and read the prayer across out loud. But if you're able to, would you be able to stand with me? Because I want to um, practice this, um, it's essentially called apophatic prayer. It's prayer that uses a lot of silences and pauses in it. So I'm going to introduce some silences and pauses at sort of odd places in the sentences. And I want you to just practice uh, being uncomfortable, if that makes sense, and using the silence and pauses as a, discipline of acknowledging the unknowability of God and to maybe fill in the blank, whatever that silence is, whatever um, God is or the Spirit is, is speaking to you right now. Let's pray. God, we approach you with a humble acknowledgement that every word that we use to get closer to you is a word that also distances us from you. We confess the limits of our tools, the limits of our imaginations, which construct worlds with words that will always fail. Nevertheless, we groan, we sigh with wordless longing for what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. We find you, or you find us, in the gaps 
in the in-between, in the, in the silence, may we, you, in the silence, may you, us, may we, may you, we stand in gratitude too. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.